We had a lot of trick-or-treaters. And what struck me was the crossover between technology, sci-fi, and pop culture and Halloween. So we had a number of characters come through. There were some teenagers representing some video games I had never heard of, but I assumed they were pretty popular video games. In fact, I had an interaction with one. He was wearing a pumpkin head of sorts with a sword, pumpkin jack, maybe? Yes, maybe but, pump, pumpkin Maybe, jack. but we're not certain. And I was like, oh, you look like a character from Fortnite. And he said, I'm going to forget that you said that. And I was like, oh, okay. Major insult. Major insult. He did not want to be compared to anything in Fortnite. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We are coming to you from GeekWire in Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in business, technology, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere, and every week on this show, we talk about some of the most interesting stories in the news. Coming up later on, an update on Convoy, a discussion of the latest innovation that Amazon is rolling out in its warehouses, or more specifically, in the ears of its employees in its warehouses. Plus, we're going to check in with the VC pitch coach. That's all coming up later on. John, I've got you on the phone for this first segment because we had some late-breaking news. We recorded the podcast a little bit early this week, and in the meantime, we got some interesting news from Jeff Bezos. Kind of a milestone, the Amazon founder announced that he will be leaving Seattle, moving to Miami as his primary residence, in part to be closer to his parents and also to be closer to the operations of Blue Origin, his commercial space venture. John, I really wrestled with how big of a story this was and what to make of it. What are your thoughts on the significance of this announcement from Jeff Bezos? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about it for sure. I don't know how newsworthy it is. It is a billionaire just deciding he is no longer going to be in the city. So I guess there's some significance there. But as a person with loads of money, he can live wherever he wants. And he already has residences in Beverly Hills, California, Maui, of course, Miami and Uh, Washington, D.C., where he owns the Washington Post. So in that regard, it's interesting that he felt compelled to go onto social media and post this because it would seem that he could just very simply still retain a condo or a multimillion dollar home in Seattle, where I would think he will still have reasons to visit at some point in his life, given that Amazon is still headquartered here. So it's interesting in that he is really truly putting it out there that he is leaving Seattle and maybe another component that he's truly stepping away from Amazon in an even bigger way. I mean, obviously that was the case when he stepped down as CEO, but he was very much engaged with Jassy. And I think you can still do that anywhere, but this is an interesting development. And I think I know you have a lot to say on it too. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. To your point, the fact that he felt compelled to declare this publicly felt to me like a legal move. Washington State has a new capital gains tax, 7%. So when Jeff Bezos sells stock in Amazon, it has significant implications for him in terms of the taxes he has to pay in Washington State. And obviously that would be very different in Florida. And so to me, the fact that he felt the need to publicly declare this made me wonder if that wasn't part of the motivation. 
I think that's a good point. I would I would agree with that. I mean, let's think back to Amazon's history. One of the reasons why Jeff Bezos moved across the country to Washington State in the first place was because of the tax implications when he was selling books. He was only going to have to collect that sales tax in a smaller state like Washington, which didn't have the population base of a, let's say, a New York or a California. So taxes have played a role in the birthing of Amazon in Washington state to begin with. To me, it's hard not to see something symbolic in this, in that when Jeff Bezos came to Seattle in 1994, and we're saying Seattle, by the way, in a regional sense, he actually moved to Bellevue, Washington, and I believe he lived in Medina, Washington. However, Seattle generally at the time when he came here was seen as the it place. There was a May 1996 cover story in Newsweek magazine, Swimming to Seattle, that I actually dug out of my archives this morning and was reading with an eye toward this particular moment with Bezos now leaving as more of a bookend, the end of that era. And it's hard for me not to see the symbolism, not that this is a setback necessarily for the region, but it certainly is symbolic of the ebbs and flows and the fact that Seattle is not in the zeitgeist of the national attention in the way that it once was. There's something else going on here, and I'll, I'll contrast Jeff Bezos with some of the other billionaires who grew up in the Seattle area, like Paul Allen and Bill Gates, of course, of Microsoft. Jeff Bezos was a transplant and picked Seattle for business reasons. He didn't pick it for emotional reasons. And so I would contrast his connection to this city with a Bill Gates, as, as an example, or a Paul Allen, who has since passed, who have deep strong memories of this of this region and their hometown. I think it's different when you come from outside and really when you come from outside, not based on your, I guess Bezos came on his own choosing, but it was really because he wanted to build a business here for economic reasons, not because he wanted to live here because he wanted to be close to the mountains or he wanted to go out on his yacht in Puget Sound. He doesn't have as much of an emotional connection to the place, other than this is where he started his business. To be clear, he said in his Instagram post that this is an emotional decision for him. He said, quote, Seattle, you will always have a piece of my heart. And clearly he had roots here. I think his divorce from Mackenzie Scott probably played a role here. He's engaged to Lauren Sanchez and they recently bought a home in Miami. His parents are there. So obviously lots of things going on here in terms of his decision. John, I will say I loved the video that he posted on Instagram that was originally shot by his dad back in the mid nineties when he first moved here. This is the uh, first office of amazon.com Inc. And uh, over here, this is my desk here. And that's the uh, fax machine, as you can see there. See this big orange uh, extension cord? This is one of the contraptions we have to have because there's not enough power in this room. Uh, so we have to bring in some extra circuit breakers. And uh, that's about it. So it doesn't take long to tour the offices of Amazon.com Inc. All right, we will link to that video and to our coverage of Jeff Bezos's decision. You can see a link to that in the show notes on this podcast and on the related post at geekwire.com. But coming up, the latest on Convoy, there was a new twist this past week in the implosion of one of the Seattle region's formerly high-flying startups. That's coming up next.
I wanted a career in IT, but I didn't know where to start. WGU makes it simple. Their accredited online degree programs cover all kinds of IT specialties, and they have valuable industry certifications built in at no extra cost. The payoff? Having those certs back up my degree makes me look even better to future employers. A nonprofit university that includes top industry certs in their programs? I choose WGU. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We spent an entire episode of the podcast a couple weeks ago talking about Convoy, the Uber for trucking, which went out of business suddenly and to the surprise of some a few weeks ago. This week, we found out that, in fact, the assets of Convoy are being acquired by none other than Flexport, which is a company which had that's- had its own <laughs> problems here recently. Right. Dave Clark, the former Amazon executive, resigned abruptly from Flexport a few weeks ago. And now that company is acquiring Convoy's technology. And the thing that struck me about this was they were very clear. It was very one of those clear. announcements. <laughs> we are not acquiring Convoy. <laughs> and we all are, of its liabilities. We're acquiring just their technology stack, and they're going to retain- a small group of team members from the core product and engineering I was struck team. by that too, Todd, how clear, I think they said it maybe. First sentence. Uh, yeah. First were, paragraph. Yeah. They were very clear. They do not own the company. Yes. That's probably not the way that you would want to have your exit go. No, no, I would think not. What do you think of all this? Well, I read the memo uh, from the Flexport uh, CEO. Ryan Peterson. So of course they're acquiring the company. So they want to present that it's a powerful uh, piece of technology. But I was struck by their comments about how effective it actually was. And so I think they were building something powerful at Convoy. Just the business really sunk them. So th that's one thing that stood out to me in terms of the comments on the acquisition of the technology. Ryan Peterson wrote in part, with more than 400,000 truck drivers and 80,000 carriers in Convoy's network, we will be able to tap into an incredible supply of trucking service providers for our customers. Convoy's tech stack also includes sophisticated procurement technology that fully automates the supply side for 98% of loads booked. This will allow us to significantly lower our carrier costs on our truckload and eventually our drayage and cartage businesses. So significant. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I guess my other comment here would be oftentimes when you start to see some of these high-profile venture-backed companies blow up, uh, the, the, you often step back and say, oh, see, they, they, they got the market wrong or it was a poorly executed plan or what have you. But oftentimes, it, it really is the market forces that might drive a company into a negative position. And, and in this case, there was probably a combination of factors going on. But even still, I guess my larger point here is that out of this kind of wasteland that's emerging, there's going to be a winner or two that, that might emerge. I mean, you look back to the history of Amazon, and everybody had written them off post-dot-com boom, and everyone was talking about how the, the, you know, the dot-coms were just this flash in a pan and didn't have any of these real business models behind them. Well, there were some pretty powerful technology companies that emerged from that era that basically all they had to do was survive. And so I'm looking at Flexport, and I guess part of my thought is, gosh, if they have enough runway just to survive through this period, they can pick up some assets of other companies, 
by some customers, get some great technology, they might be in, you know, pardon the pun, the driver's seat going forward in one of these very, very large industries. So it speaks to that old adage that a venture capitalist told me a long time ago that's always stuck with me, that you can be successful by just hanging around for a long time. And maybe that's what's going to happen with Flexport. Obviously, Convoy is not going to be the one that's hanging around for a long time, even though I bet they wish they were the ones. I'm still surprised looking back that Amazon didn't end up with this company. You know, I follow Amazon's third party retail businesses and all the expansion that they've been doing of Amazon shipping and a lot of their freight business. But it, Amazon's not a very acquisitive company historically. And they they would rather build than buy is my is my sense with Amazon. I mean and, there are exceptions certainly, but for the most part They've built their systems. There's a lot of exceptions, though. I, yeah. I think if you look at One Medical, them dumping the, they, Amazon Care for One Medical effectively, yeah. and I would say they buy to get into new markets like a Whole Foods or One Medical, uh, Ring into you know security cameras. But where they have deep strength, I don't think they have historically purchased a lot of companies. Well, maybe there's a distinction there. I'm yeah. If you look at the way Amazon has been expanding in their logistics business and the fact that they didn't have anything precisely analogous to Convoy, I'm sure that Amazon, at the very least, kicked the tires <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> on Convoy to see if it was worth an acquisition. And of I'm course, sure they did. I think it was even reported that yes. they were looking at, yes. at Convoy. And then on the flip side, you look at a lot of the things that they're doing with robotics at Amazon and automation and the need to have software to drive a lot of that logistics. I don't know. It just seems that if anything, if I would have been betting six months ago that Convoy was going to have some kind of outcome, I would have guessed that the outcome would have been an acquisition by Amazon. And I'm just still surprised that it didn't happen. Yeah, there were some other reports that other companies were looking at Convoy, including UPS. Yeah. Uh, so certainly in the logistics space, I think probably all those companies were taking a peek at them. And uh, Flexport's the one that's ended up with the assets. So yeah, it's kind of, I hate to say it again, another pun, end of the road. <laughs> it is. Really it's, end, it's end of the road for Convoy, which yeah. is, I yeah. didn't think I'd be saying that in 2023. One of the most remarkable rises and falls that we've seen, I think, over the 20 years that I've been paying attention to the Seattle technology market in general. I, I would agree, even with you know that dot-com era in the late 90s, early 2000s, where things definitely changed very quickly boy, this was a lot of money at a high valuation that went out of business very quickly. According to multiple reports, Convoy CEO Dan Lewis will be joining Flexport as part of the deal, along with a few other employees, effectively. And I'm wondering how that's going to go over with a lot of the employees who lost their jobs. Okay. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a new AI technology that startup founders can use to hone their pitches to venture capitalists. That's coming up next on GeekWire. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. 
All right, welcome back. It's Todd Bishop and John Cook. We're talking about the week's news here this week on GeekWire. And John, there was a feature that came out this week from a company that we've tracked for a few years now, Udly, which is an artificial intelligence public speaking coach. The idea being that the AI monitors a video of you speaking and gives you a whole range of feedback on eye contact, pace, use of specific words, bias in your language, all sorts of things. And the new module, effectively, that they came out with this past week is tuned to startup founders pitching their businesses to potential investors, whether it's an elevator pitch or something longer. And I was fascinated by one particular part of this. You can assign the AI a particular personality. In other words, you can say, I'm pitching to a venture capitalist who is very rigorous on the environment or likes to ask questions about your product market fit or very specific things about that venture capitalist. And I have an idea related to this, but I, you, this is your area of coverage, John. So I'm curious about your take. Well, I read the story. I thought it was a really interesting idea. I think it should be taken a step further. That not only because I think the personas you can put in are what like mean VC, <laughs> nice VC, basically. You know? Well, isn't it what is it? No, friendly, technical, or skeptical. Yes. You know, I guess those are but, better. I like to say mean or nice, or yes. but uh, those are the those are the personas you can choose. Kind of knowing, I guess you need to use your own judgment. Like, is Heather Redman at Flying Fish? Is she a skeptical VC or? Is she a technical technical or friendly? I like so you have to use some of your own judgment, I think, to pick the parameters. But I do want it to go that next step. Why doesn't it go to I'm meeting with Heather Redman of Flying Fish Partners next week. Give me an analysis of what she has provided feedback-wise to other VCs. What type of questions are typical from that very specific VC? Now, I'm sure that's not too far off from what Udly's thinking here, because that gets really valuable. I would take it even a step further where Heather Redman or Matt McElwain could come in and say, sure, you can use my persona in this VC pitch AI feedback feature, but here's my licensing fee. <laughs> well, there are companies that are doing this in the celebrity space for sure. Exactly. I was thinking and the reason- Well, then it becomes an entire, it becomes the metaverse then. you're Basically, everyone's just pitching virtually to one another and you have to get through Heather Redman's AI chat bot before you make the second or third round where you actually meet the physical Heather Redman. Why even have the physical element? Couldn't you just say, hey, Heather, here are the five investments that you're going to be making based on the chat bot that we assign that from your persona? That is a little too I don't. <laughs> no, that would be risky, that but way, I don't see it ever getting to that, uh, not in the short term. But there, you know, one of the things that VCs struggle with is the deluge of business plans that come through. I mean, they have yeah. scores of people on their team that essentially just collect the various business ideas and source them and then s sort them and try to get, you know, and try to create a hierarchy of who needs to be talked to and who doesn't. So frankly, that's not a bad idea. If you could streamline that process by saying, these are the five types of companies I'm really, or entrepreneurs I'm very interested in seeing, and it does the filtering automatically for you. I think that would be hugely valuable. Now that's starting to get outside the realm of 
AI-based feedback to the entrepreneurs. I realize we're getting into more of a different well, kind of platform. We're just expanding Udly's business model here. <laughs> but to your point, John, I was inspired in part by an app that I use called Speechify, which has licensed the voices of Gwyneth Paltrow and Snoop Dogg. And you can have either of their voices, their voice clones, read any content that you want them to back to you. And who do you app. choose? Of course, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yeah. I mean, Snoop is... Snoop would be fun in it's limited fun. quality. It's fun quantities. for a few minutes, yeah. and then it's like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> you, don't want an entire, you don't want an entire book read to you by Snoop Dogg. Exactly. Yeah. So for me, a lot of the books that come out... In fact, next week's podcast, I'm interviewing... Fei-Fei Lee, the Stanford researcher. Mm, looking and forward to that. That's going to be a great, be great episode. Great show, I can yeah. tell you already. It's better than be... this one. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I am also interviewing her on stage at Town Hall in Seattle on November 13th. Mm. I'll link to that from the show notes. But we'll have a conversation with her on the podcast. And the way that I read that book was I uploaded the PDF to Speechify. And over the course of a weekend, essentially, at one5 X speed, Gwyneth Paltrow read it to me. Hmm. And I find my retention is extremely high. I did the but same thing. But it's an AI Gwyneth Paltrow. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's a voice clone, much like we did earlier this year on the podcast. But she's, I assume, licensed her voice to them. And you just them. imagine how much money she makes on each one of those. And my point here For is doing then, very limited work. Maybe Matt McElwain and Heather Redman and their counterparts at other VC firms could license their personas Actually, this would be a great Shark Tank play. I mean, really, that if you want to make it commercial, like Mark Cuban and Barbara Corcoran and all of them should have Udly import their personalities into the VC pitch coach and make it like a virtual Shark Tank, like a licensing deal. Wow. Varun, I love this idea. Anisha, we've got lots of <laughs> I'm ideas I'm sure for somebody's you. working on this. We didn't talk yet even about my favorite story of the week, John. So here at the end, do you want to yeah. briefly mention this? Hit, hit me with it at the risk of giving up one of my favorite re reporting tricks, I love reading the Reddit forum for Amazon fulfillment centers. I love seeing what the different warehouse associates are posting. You're it, such a geek. It gives me a window into, well, I'm a reporter yeah. who covers Amazon <laughs> and is interested in their logistics and fulfillment operations. And it gives me a window into what the associates are thinking. Now, of course, if somebody's compelled to post on Reddit, you have to take into account the fact that it's probably not representative of the sentiment of the average Amazon Fulfillment Center employee. That said, it's super interesting. And one of the things that I saw last week was somebody posting about a new trial that was coming to their Fulfillment Center for Bluetooth earplugs. Now, this is one of the most, as I understand it from Amazon. Is this how you got on the story? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. So I followed I up with this. Amazon and said, hey, this looks interesting. And they said, yeah, no one's reported on this. We've actually been doing it for most of the year. Uh, yeah, they confirmed that they did it. And I got a few details out of them. <laughs> I didn't realize that's how you got the <laughs> yes, story. Yes. That's great. Cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. I love People always ask you, how do you find stories? Oh. And I, I have a hard time answering because yeah, it's like. It's random stuff like everywhere. that. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is random stuff like that. So this is a pilot program for now, a trial, where in certain locations and in certain job functions, Amazon employees are able to try these custom-made earplugs that are Bluetooth-enabled that allow them to listen to music, podcasts, or whatever while they're working. However, they are custom-made, as I mentioned. And even though you can get off-the-shelf versions of these earplugs, the ones that are made for Amazon do not have a mic. 
so you cannot be calling your boo while and, you're and, loading the bin. Yeah, and it's a certain <laughs> decibel level too, right? Yes, because exactly. Because they don't want to you to be able to block well, out your coworkers or an alarm or some safety feature. Right, or blow out your ears. Now, this is interesting to me in part because on my visits to different Amazon fulfillment centers in Pittsburgh and Austin and Portland, California, California yeah. right, uh, that's a delivery station, but fulfillment centers are where this issue really comes up for me, at least in what I've experienced. The conveyor belts are so loud, the high-speed conveyor belts, that in my view, it's a safety hazard. Now, Amazon will tell you, hey, we offer ear protection to all of our associates. They feel like they're covered. Looking around, when I've toured the Amazon fulfillment centers, it does not seem to me that use of this ear protection is universal. And in fact, in the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries case against Amazon in their Spokane fulfillment center, this issue came up. They were cited in part for employees being in areas of very loud volumes without ear protection. Now, that's a whole other issue. That said, perhaps this could be a good thing because at least they're getting the earplugs in their ears and then the Bluetooth is still going through them and they're getting music, but it could increase the adoption of ear protection by employees in these Amazon warehouses. So, yeah, who doesn't want to listen to some good old-fashioned country music? Some Willie Nelson while while you're moving boxes around. Exactly. Well, the robots aren't going to need AirPods. The robots do not need to listen to music to distract themselves. That's that's right. for sure. (laughs) We will link to all of the stories that we talked about from the show notes and from the related post on geekwire.com. Thanks for listening. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We will be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.